The scripture reading for today's message comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at his rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may go and pay homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They knelt down and paid homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The word of God to you, the people of God. You know what I'm about to say. Happy Epiphany, y'all. What's that, you ask? Yeah, does Arden, do you know what Epiphany is? You ever, you, have you ever heard of it? No, I can't. I just, I have to listen to audiobooks when I get to that part of the Bible because I can't spell it. So, well, on the one hand, Epiphany is a time in the church when we remember the arrival of the wise men, right? It's a practical thing. These wise men were these foreign dignitaries who became the first non-Jewish people. Now, hear what I say this. The first non-Jewish people to discover Jesus Christ and to understand the divine presence at work in his life. That's pretty important. And so that's part of what we, um, what we celebrate and acknowledge today in our, worship, in our Epiphany worship. On the other hand, Epiphany marks the end of the Christmas season. Now, you heard me say that. Christmas season, not Christmas day. Right? You see, the, historically, the church has observed this season that we call Christmas time, which is a season of praise and thanksgiving for the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. And it begins, it begins on Christmas tide, the season of Christmas, begins at, on Christmas Eve at sundown with the, wait for this, this is going to be legendary, this is going to blow your mind, right? It begins with the Christ Mass, right? Christ, Mass. Christmas, okay, I'm sorry. I'm just, I, I, maybe I'm just too much of a theology nerd or a liturgy nerd for this Carolyn Baral because... <laughs> 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 and, 
And at sundown, the Christ Mass was a service of worship celebrating the incarnation of Jesus Christ and receiving the sacrament of Holy Communion together. Now, incarnation is a really important um, uh, belief that we share, a piece of doctrine that we share in the church. See, incarnation is this belief that the God who is invisible became a visible, living, breathing, physical human being, a human being that people could see, that people could touch, that people could have a relationship with this Jesus, right? And so this celebration runs for 12 days. Now, could you imagine, those of you who really enjoy opening presents on Christmas Day, how many of us like getting presents, right? All right? What if opening presents wasn't just one day? What if it was 12 days of opening presents? Can I get an amen? Now, there's just one catch with that. You see, if you open presents for 12 days, then they're going to be like really strange things like lords a-leaping and swans swimming, right? Or, or uh, you know, the ladies might enjoy this, five golden rings, right? You know, can I get a witness? Wouldn't that be awesome, right? Um, but then there's like turtle doves and mockingbirds, and I don't like birds that make fun of me, you know? Okay, that was... that. Are we ever going to recover from that? So we celebrate today finishing with Epiphany, right? We've grown accustomed these days of observing four Sundays of Advent with the candles and the readings and the special moments of worship, right? Followed by a service of candlelight and Holy Communion on what we now call Christmas Eve. And all of our activities, our parties, our church activities, our family gatherings usually build up to this one fateful moment of Christmas Day when the presents are opened and the hams uh, gets glazed and sliced, and our in-laws, thank God, finally go home, right? And by the way, the 935 service is on the radio, and so I made a public apology to my own in-laws when I was on the radio earlier. So don't worry, I'm I'm not going to get in nearly as much trouble as I probably would have otherwise. And then when all of that's over, we think to ourselves, well, that was fun. I'm so glad Santa finally brought me what I wanted this year. You know, candlelight worship at church was, was really special, and it was really beautiful. And now the decorations are gone. Or if some of you are really lazy, your decorations are probably still up, right? Right? Now, now we think life can return to normal. Right? How many of you have thought that this past week? Now, I did. I thought to myself, oh my goodness, all the, all the excessive eating and all the parties and getting together with folks and, you know, having two services of worship on Christmas Eve and, and all the family get-togethers where everybody's acting crazy. Like, you know what? Like, all that's over and now life gets back to normal, right? We can go back to normal, feeling normal, right? Right? But hold on a second, right? The coming of Jesus into the world was the single most important event in the history of everything. I mean, if Christmas is the church's act of remembering the night when God revealed himself to the world as a human being, a person 
then there's more for us to be gained by focusing on it just a little while longer. So will you guys do that with me? Can we just hang on to Christmas just for these next few moments? Is that okay? Can we do that together? Yeah, I think you're with me. I think you're already there, right? Because as huge as Christ's birth is for us, we ought to, we agree that we should stop and dwell on what God has done. And it, and it hit me this morning uh, as I was sharing this message that maybe th- today is, is a better day than most of the days that we've had leading up to this point, because it seems like all the hubbub and all the busyness has de- is settled down. And here we are, and it's quiet, and, and things have gotten a little simpler, and we can stop and dwell on really what it is that we have done. What have we acknowledged about God and what we are going to do next? And so we ought to stop and dwell on what God has done just a little while longer and just let that epiphany story, that story of these magi coming from the east and revealing who Jesus Christ really is, right? The stories that tell us the story of the incarnation. And by the way, these seasons that we that we celebrate in the life of the church. We just completed, again, Advent and Christmas and now Epiphany. And in a couple of months, we'll be entering into a season of fasting through Lent and then celebrating the culmination of Lent with Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And there's even other holidays in the life of the church that we celebrate throughout the year, like Pentecost, when we, when we acknowledge the gift of the Holy Spirit or All Saints Day, when we recognize that all of the saints who have gone before us intercede on our behalf and they go to the Father in heaven and they wait for us there, right? There's all these different moments in the life of the church that happen throughout the year, and this is one of them. And what these seasons do is they not only help us mark times in our life, right? And when we recall the great things that God has done, but it also helps us to acknowledge these great things that God has done And then ask ourselves maybe the most important question of all. Because of what God has done, how then shall we live? That may be be it right there. And so I wanted to say a prayer for you, um, just real quick. um, And then we're going to get into the epiphany story of the wise men. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for today. um, And for this opportunity we have to gather and worship and celebrate. um, and 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 to acknowledge your presence in our midst. And by the power of your spirit, I know that you are speaking to us today, a word of grace and a word of challenge. And we also know that we are your servants, Lord, so speak. We, your servants, are listening. Amen. So one last time. Okay, maybe it won't be the last. I don't know. We'll see. Happy Epiphany. Today we complete the celebration of Christmastide by hearing the story of the wise men. Now, did you know the wise men weren't the only people who visited Jesus? Now, now I'm not talking about the wise men or the shepherd, or well, I am talking about the wise men. I'm not talking about the shepherds or the other folks that were there when Jesus was born, the angels and that sort of thing. But I'm talking about after the wise men came, right? In fact, archaeologists have discovered an, an, an ancient narrative, a scroll, really, um, that that provides more information about the infancy of Jesus Christ. And so there's this story that's not recorded anywhere in the Bible that tells a story about after the three wise men came, that there were these other three people that came, and they were known in antiquity as the wiser women, right? 
And in fact, in fact, I discovered through some research an ancient, uh, an ancient image of a piece of art depicting the occasion when the wiser women first encountered the baby Jesus. So Lucas, will you, will you guys show it to us? Yeah, there they are, right? And they also brought the baby Jesus gifts. You can see there casseroles for the week, fresh diapers and formula, and an in-home nanny, right? Now you can see why they, they would be known as the wiser women, right? Well, at any rate, I wonder, that's, that's okay, we can go from there. <laughs> at any rate, I wonder, why do we call them wise men? Well, for one, they were distinguished foreigners who visited Jesus after his birth. They're only mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, but the word that's used that's traditionally translated wise men is the Greek word magi. And it comes from a, a, a word in ancient Persia that referred to these guys who basically were the priests of a religion known uh, as Zoroaster, right? They, they followed this, this prophet called Zoroaster, right? You, you guys know who Zoroaster was, right? He was the guy who invented the precursor to the crockpot. No, it was actually Zoroaster. I just, I, I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. These guys were members of the Persian priestly caste of Zoroastrianism, one of the great ancient religions of the world. And as part of their religion, and I'm sorry for if this is like too much like uh, geeky information for you, but I just love it. So just stay with me for a minute. But as a part of their religion, these priests paid particular attention to the stars and they gained an international reputation for astrology. Right, which in those days was a, a, a vital and an important science, science for people. Um, people navigated across the seas by the stars um, and across land as well. I mean, it was, it was really important to them. Now, later English uh, religious practices associated the, mag, uh, the magi, right, if you will, with the English word magic. But, you know, it's, it, these guys, they weren't magicians, okay? They, weren't, they didn't, like, pull the frankincense out of a hat, you know what I'm saying, and give it to Jesus. They weren't magicians. In fact, the, the followers of Zoroaster, Zoroaster were, not, um, were not magicians. They weren't into sorcery. These were good people, right? They were good people that they were trying to seek out their, the creator of the universe, but they didn't exactly know the God of Israel like the, the way that the, the special people of God knew them. Now, they weren't really kings, all right, so sorry, my apologies to John Hopkins Jr., the guy that wrote We Three Kings of Orient are, you know. Um, though I get why he used that lyric, because if we were to sing, I'll say, for example, We Three Astrologers of Orient are, it just doesn't flow off the tongue very well, does it? Right? Now, the phrase uh, from the East literally means from the rising of the sun. And it may be that these magi came from the East because of a religious motivation, right? As the Syriac infancy gospel states that they were pursuing a prophecy made by their, their, prophet, their prophet. So as I think about these wise men, I wonder, how did these people from far to the East, in a day without interstate highways or phone books, or GPS, 
how did they find Jesus? And when they did find Jesus, it seems that in the text they know who Jesus is and the significance of his birth, and they respond to him in ways that are appropriate to that high stature. And that's interesting to me as well. Now, to this day, it's, it, it's interesting that we recognize that the wise men had a significant impact on how we as Christians worship today. I mean, if you look at the way that they sought out, revered, and honored Jesus Christ, they have become for us a model of how we should order our lives for worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, just as the, the wise men, in some translations say, they threw themselves down, they fell down on their faces and worshiped Jesus, just as they do that and bring him gifts. So to this day, Christians still practice bowing or kneeling at chancel or altar rails, just like we're going to together when we celebrate Holy Communion this morning, right? In prayer and submission to God. And to this day, in worship, we bring gifts to God as we worship and offer them to God through his church. But folks, there is so much more to it than just the physical act of bowing down to Christ and offering him a gift, right? You see, as the first non-Jewish people who ever encountered Jesus, I believe that the wise men have set a standard, uh, an example, if you will, for those of us who want to honor Jesus the way that Jesus ought to be honored in our lives, right? And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to look at three different things that the wise men did in the order that they did it to begin to discover together how the wise men are an example to us of how to honor Jesus. Well, the first thing is, is, is the answer to my wondering about how the, the Magi knew about Jesus. They must have been committed to some kind of a process of an intentional learning and openness. Otherwise, they never would have been able to discover it. They committed substantial time to learning about the stars, to astronomy, to the pattern of the movement of stars over time, right? You know, you know every time I look up at the night sky at night and I look at the stars, they kind of look a little bit different to me. I mean, I'm not an astronomer, so I don't know. And the truth is, is that they do change every single night. Now, I know that if you get on your app store on your phone and you download an app called Skyview, right, you can actually take it and you can point it at the sky and uh, it uses your camera, and then it can find the different constellations and tell you information about that, right? But that's the only way for me using a phone app that I would ever be able to discover anything close to what these magi knew about the sky. I mean, every night of the year, they were aware of what the night sky should look like and how they could find things that were out of place, right? They didn't have all of those resources, and yet they still knew when the unique star, the star that didn't belong, appeared, they knew it right away, and they knew what it meant. You know, another thing that's interesting to me is that these guys were not members of the household of God, not part of the Jewish faith. They didn't have the opportunity to go to synagogue with their families on Saturday and hear the rabbi open the scrolls of the Old Testament and share the stories of God's salvation and the Passover and the, and the prophets and, and talking about the Messiah who was to come. And yet somehow they had found out about all of these things. And so it takes a certain openness to me 
to think about these guys and what they were willing to do. They were willing to learn new things and experience new truths outside of the things that they already knew, right? And they were willing to accept that maybe that they didn't have it all figured out. You know what I'm saying, right? These, there were store, something about, and, and here's the other thing, is that as they encountered these stories about the ruler of the universe, the God of, the Jew, of Israel, and his mighty acts of salvation, there was something that struck them, that, that, that tugged at their hearts and told them that these stories were powerful, that these stories were true, right? And so these were people who were paying attention to new learnings, insights beyond what they already knew, and they were responding to God's prompting in their lives even before they realized what it was that they were getting themselves into. And by the way, we Methodists already kind of know what that was because we believe in this thing called provenient grace, right? Which is that grace of God that God gives to us even before we know that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, this is what I see at work in the life of these, these wise men, but they had to be open to it. They had to be looking for truth in order to find it. And then also they recognized exactly what they ought to do in response to the rising of the star, to come and pay homage to a king. And this king, they believed if the stories and the prophecies were true, would absolutely transform the world. And so they got up and they left their homes and they traveled to the west to find Jesus. And so these magi found out about Jesus because of their openness and their commitment to learn and to find the truth. Now secondly, once the magi discovered the truth and learned of the star and its significance, they immediately took meaningful action. They didn't just stay in their homes and say, wow, that star over there to the west, that's a really neat looking star. That's probably the star that refers to the Messiah. How neat is that? And they go back to playing Candy Crush on their phone. No, they got up and they left. And they went to find the, the, the king that was represented by the star. And so they took what they learned and what they knew and the tuggings of God on their heart, and they took meaningful action. They did something with what they learned. And when they got to, when they got to the Judean countryside, they asked everyone that they encountered, where is this Messiah, this Savior, this King of the Jews who is born? And they were meticulous in their search, and they were intentional in their search, and they did not give up their search until they found Jesus. They didn't settle for trying to find Jesus, right? They saw the task through from, from beginning to end. They found Jesus, right? There was another person who was trying to find Jesus, by the way, who they encountered along the way, Herod. He also wanted to encounter Jesus. He was threatened by Jesus. But did he leave his seat of power to go seek out to seek out the the Messiah? No. He asked someone else to do it for him. When they learned his exact location, the magi were quote overwhelmed with joy, right? They went straight to the home where he was and they did exactly what they knew they should do. They gave Jesus gifts befitting a person of his stature, king, right? They gave to Jesus what was his. 
That's the second stage. So not only did they learn, but they were willing to get up and move their feet and do something with the information that God gave them. And they went and took action. And then third, the third thing that the Magi did was that as they, were, as they completed their time with Jesus and with the Holy Family, and they prepared to return home, it, the text says that God came to them in a dream and warned them about Herod, and so they returned home by a different road. And when I read that, it, it, it occurs to me that when we, like the wise men, take what we've learned, our faith and our knowledge, and we put it into action, there's a result to that, to that, to that lifestyle. When you put faith and action together, it results in something really important. And you know what I'm going to call that? I'm going to call that wisdom. See, I don't think that the wise men were wise until they got to this point where their faith was put into action and then they experienced the grace of God in a moment coming to them and showing them what was really true about the situation. And then they went and they, and they traveled home by a different road and left the king, Herod, the one who wanted to kill the, the Messiah. God was showing grace and favor to them, and they followed God's command and did not obey the command of the human one who felt threatened by this, uh, this king who was rising up in his midst. In other words, these men, after this experience, were able to tell the difference between what was from God and what wasn't from God. And it came about because of their faith and their action. And then just for my own meditation, I think to myself, um, as, I, as they were walking home or, or riding home on camels or whatever it is that they did, um, what do you think? What do you think they talked about on their way home? I wonder. So let me ask you this. How are we doing in honoring God, not only with our, our growth and our, and our life and our knowledge, but also in our action. How are we becoming the wise people that God created us to be? A couple of years ago, I was um, at uh, Michael's or Hobby Lobby, one of those places where they sell lots of neat Christmas decorations, and um, there was a really good sale going on, and I bought this little like wood plaque that sits on a table in my house every year. And you know what it says? It says, wise men still seek him. What is, maybe this is a, maybe there's a, a specific question um, for reflection that I can give you today, right? Because, you know, here we are, it's the end of Christmas, and we're about to let go of that whole season and enter into this next season, and some of us are going to call it normal, some of us don't know what normal is, that's, that's what I heard down here with some folks laughing when I said normal, because they're like, no such thing, you know? Um, Whatever this next season of life is, before you move into that, right, what is one thing, one thing about your relationship with God that you need to address before you let go of this Christmas season? What has God shown you? What gift of faith and learning and new insight has God given you that you need to take action on? 
that you need to see through, that you need to follow up on and make sure that it gets done this year. I mean, we're all seeking a lot of things in life, aren't we? What so far, what so far are you still looking for? And what have you found? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and the children of God said, Amen. Amen.